people. Always flying off somewhere. Oh. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi, and today I am solo. <gasps> Single tier, so you're gonna have to just put up with this Canadian accent the whole time, eh? <laughs> People keep telling me that I have such a Canadian accent and I don't really hear it, but anyway. So the reason I'm solo is that Maureen has a lot on the go and I'm really excited for her. She's starting an in real life project, which I mean, let's face it, we all aspire to start <laughs> as activists, um, but many of us don't really get past the online stuff, admittedly. So anyway, she's, yeah, I can't give too many details about the project because obviously she's just getting it started now, but um, it's very exciting. And so she's taking some time to do that. So yeah, today you got me <laughs> and I hope we can still have some fun. Um, so while she's taking some time away from content creation, I'm going to have some guest hosts on the show and do some interviews, etc. And of course, when she can, she will join me on some episodes. But yeah, for now, let's get it. So today I wanted to talk about... Well, okay, so our very first podcast that we ever made was called Why Leftists Should Be Vegan. And we've talked kind of intermittently about how veganism also needs anti-capitalists, but I wanted to talk today about, yeah, why vegans should be leftists on the flip side, and that actually these two movements should go together and have a lot to gain from kind of combining their efforts. And first of all, I want to shout out Maureen's video called Why Veganism Must Be Anti-Capitalist Now! Exclamation point, uh, because it's really, really good. Um, it was her VegFest talk and just really informative and awesome. And I also wanted to shout out the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast because they have been talking about this for years now, honestly, and they have so many brilliant episodes about why, if we're going to get anywhere, we need to overthrow the capitalist system. And also, they talk a lot about just the pointlessness of defining veganism as a consumption list and not as a political stance and of just basically going around and policing everybody based on their consumption choices and you know this whole focus on purity and if you don't consume everything exactly right and if all of your makeup and your shampoos and everything aren't exactly perfect and vegan and cruelty free and if ugh, just all these things aren't 100% in line, then you are not a vegan. As if something like that, I mean, if you're just intentionally going out and buying things that you know are not vegan, and it is possible for you to make a change and you're just not bothering because you like the product and you don't really care, I mean, that's one thing. <laughs> um, but I mean, as we've talked about before, this focus on consumerism and, you know, purity and whatever, it makes veganism inaccessible. I mean, it lends credence to this idea that veganism is bourgeois, which it's not, first of all. I mean, yeah, okay, we're not going to get into this because, because we already talked about this in the why leftists should be vegan. We actually went over this idea about veganism being bourgeois and, you know, how to actually do this on the cheap and that for a lot of people, especially kind of, you know, middle class, regular dude bros, they just kind of use that as an excuse to not bother doing anything when clearly, you know, if they're going to the grocery store and buying meat products, they could easily just switch that to other products. But anyway, it is exclusionary to people who don't have the means or who live in food deserts or whatever, for whatever reason, on the VWPA podcast, 
which is vegan warrior princesses, princesses attack. They also talk about how a lot of people who are going through like eating disorders and recovering from eating disorders also might not necessarily be able to just adopt a vegan lifestyle because that focus on, you know, that, that focus on food. And I don't like to call it restriction, obviously, because that's not a good way to think about it, but still like that focus on eating certain things and not others is just kind of triggering for people who have gone through things like that. Right. So anyway, that's all to say that I just really recommend the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast when it comes to anti-capitalist veganism. And also Maureen has a lot of great stuff about it. And I probably do too, but I, I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> so yeah, just go just go explore on my videos. I'm sure I, I talk about it a lot. Anyway, so having said that, I was listening to the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. God, that it's really, that's a kind of a tongue twister to say it quickly all the time. But anyway, VWPA podcast this week. And um, at the start of the podcast, Callie always does news and she brought up this news article that, oh my God, made me livid, made me sick to my stomach, just, uh, oh my God, yeah, you're all going to be sick in a second when I explain what this is. So it's titled, Two Amputations a Week, The Cost of Working in a U.S. Meat Plant. As unions warn of serious injuries, plans to take speed limits off the lines at pig plants are causing anxiety. And this was posted in The Guardian by Andrew Wasley, Christopher D. Cook, and Natalie Jones. And yeah, I mean, it just made me sick. So it says amputations, fractured fingers, secondary burns, and head trauma are just some of the serious injuries suffered by U.S. meat plant workers every week, according to data seen by The Guardian and the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. U.S. meat workers are already three times more likely to suffer serious injury than the average American worker, and pork and beef workers nearly seven times more likely to suffer repetitive strain injuries. And some fear that plans to remove speed restrictions on pig processing lines currently being debated by the government will only make the work more difficult. Records compiled by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration reveal that on average there are at least 17 severe incidents a month in U.S. meat plants. These injuries are classified as those involving hospitalizations, amputations, or loss of an eye. Amputations happen on average twice a week, according to the data. There were 270 incidents in a 31-month period, spanning from 2015 to 2017, and most of the incidents involved amputation of fingers or fingertips, but there were recordings of lost hands, arms, or toes. And then they go on to describe a number of just really horrifying things that have happened to employees and why they had to have parts of their bodies amputated. And it just made me really sick. Um, and we talked about this in the Slaughterhouses and Environmental Racism podcast that a lot of these workers, I mean, the turnover rate for workers in the, the meat industry and in the slaughterhouse industry is 100%. And the majority of workers are immigrants with insecure status and so they are basically just looking for any jobs that they can get. They've been totally marginalized. And because they have insecure status, they can't even go, like they, like they might not get healthcare. They aren't, they aren't able to go and, you know, complain or report their employers or report whatever was, whatever's going on because they could, you know, be deported. And we also have prison labor. People in prisons being forced to work with, I mean, I, don't, I can't even say work with animals. They're being forced to, you know, forcibly impregnate animals and kill them and, you know, take their babies away, milk them, etc. And they're making 86 cents per hour on average. I mean, this is clearly just slavery. This is obviously, I mean, a lot of people have talked about this, that, you know, the prison industrial complex is just the extension of slavery. 
Um, it's just legalized slavery, basically. And so we have the most marginalized people doing the worst work, the most dangerous work, being injured, unable to really fight back against this, um, you know, without any other options. And and Nicole and Callie on the VWPA podcast mentioned this, that, you know, a lot of vegans will come down really hard on slaughterhouse workers themselves because a lot of videos circulate showing, you know, people working for slaughterhouses who do things that are, you know, they'll like slam piglets on the ground and they'll just kick and beat animals just for the heck of it. And I mean, I, I used to see those videos circulating around, you know, my Facebook and everything. And people who were not even vegan would share these and be like, oh, my God, look, this is so terrible. Um, and it's just really framed as like, oh, look, these bad seeds in the slaughterhouse industry are just like running amok and being really cruel to the animals. And it's like, OK, is that any more cruel than actually slaughtering them, like hanging them up in content warning? <laughs> Uh, yeah, preface this whole talk with a content warning. Um, but yeah, like actually doing all of that to them, is that any more, you know, quote unquote humane? Obviously not, but people forget that that's what they're paying for. But no, no, this video of this person kicking an animal is just <laughs> insupportable. But anyway, also... Just working in those conditions has also been proven to have serious, traumatic psychological effects on the workers and can lead people to be more violent in, in their daily lives. I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, all slaughterhouse workers are just, you know, coming out of their super violent, but it's, I mean, there's been a lot of studies that show that there is a direct correlation between doing that kind of work and having, you know, suffering trauma and then having that come out in your life in, in different ways. Anyway, I think we just, we always have to remember that these are people marginalized within the capitalist system who have no other, I mean, people would not be doing this work if they had other options, obviously. I mean, they're having all these body parts amputated, God, which just puts them in even a, a worse position in terms of getting other employment. Um, so yeah, we just have to remember that the the system produces this, right? Like, and we talked about this in the last episode that the profit motive does not give a fuck about you or the animals. The the profit motive will destroy life, human or non-human, and the environment for profit. And because it needs to grow perpetually, <laughs> it's going to just perpetually suck more and more people into these low-wage positions. I mean, it, it has to. In order to keep accumulation going up the hierarchy, up the ladder, it has to draw more and more and more people into the reserve pool of labor to do these terrible jobs that nobody would ever want to do. And it has to use up more and more energy and resources and life, like sentient lives, you know? And so the idea that we could somehow see a vegan world <laughs> that would be, you know, just and cruelty-free and all of that under this capitalist system is just absurd. Like, it really is absurd. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've always been... I can't say always, but since I guess I was maybe a teenager, which was quite a long time ago now, <laughs> people always say like, oh, you look like you're about 23. I'm like, no, 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 but thank you. <laughs> um, also, you can't really get a PhD at 23, but anyway, since I was a teenager, I feel like I've been pretty anti-capitalist, at least anti-establishment, really vocal about that. And... I mean, I was vegetarian for quite a long time and I never really, I, it was only until a couple years ago that I actually made the full push and went totally vegan. Um, and I mean, 
I've admitted this elsewhere in our, in our body image um, podcast and everything that I actually went vegan primarily for health reasons. And it wasn't until I did that that I actually really started to dig into like vegan media and and documentaries and all of these things that really opened my eyes to what the animals were going through. And But I think that even though I knew, like even though I was anti-capitalist, I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't explicitly connect the two movements in my mind. And I kind of still did fall prey to the idea that if we just could get everybody to consume vegan products, then that's all we would have to do. And we could, yeah, that that would be perfect. And then all the animals would be liberated. And then, you know, climate change would be cured. And we could all just live la-di-da peacefully together forevermore. And, you know, we would all be super healthy and blah, blah, blah. And so... I understand. I mean, I understand having that mindset and a lot of people will like whenever I talk about how, you know, veganism without anti-capitalism is pointless. <clears throat> Sorry, not pointless. I should be I should be careful not to make it seem like I'm going so far in the other direction. Veganism under capitalism does still have a point. Like it is really important for us to make these choices. But when I say that veganism without anti-capitalism is insufficient, a lot of people will kind of push back and say, well, how can you say that? Because, you know, if nobody was demanding these products, then no company would have any reason to produce them. And so, theore- you know, theoretically, we could just boycott all animal products and then that would solve the problem. But understanding how capitalism works on a systemic level and also understanding the nature of late stage capitalism where capital has already concentrated into so few hands, like you can count on two hands the number of people who own all the wealth in this world and, you know, accordingly also the number of corporations that own everything, like everything is owned by this ginormous conglomerate parent corporation. So boycotts are highly ineffectual. I mean, I don't want to say they're completely ineffectual. Um, And a lot of people point to the importance of boycotts, like in terms of like South Africa and ending apartheid and everything. And obviously um, the Palestinians now are really pushing for this whole BDS movement, but it's largely not working that well, you know what I mean? And I kind of feel like part of that, I mean, part of that obviously has to do with the terrible state of our media and how it's very pro-Israel. But I also think it has to do with this moment in our capitalist existence where it's really hard to avoid buying things from certain companies because they own so much or, you know, seemingly different brands are just owned by the same parent corporation. And so same, you know, so thinking about the veganism Let's say you don't want to buy one brand of makeup because it, you know, it's not cruelty-free. They test on animals, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you're going to buy from another brand. But guess what? They're both owned by the same parent company. So even though technically you're using your money to vote with your dollars, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um So technically, even though you're quote-unquote voting with your dollars for that brand, or like you're technically voting with your dollars for cruelty-free stuff, all that money is just going to the same parent corporation. And they don't really give a fuck. Like, they're just there to make money. And so you are just contributing to their profits just in a different way, you know? 
And why I scoffed so much at voting with your dollars um, is, first of all, this whole idea of, you know, these parent companies own, owning everything. I used to have this app. There was this environmentalist app that you could scan any product and then – what was it called? Oh, I wish I, I should have looked this up before, but it was – like a boycotting app. And if you wanted to boycott certain companies, then you could, you know, go into the app and scan the product and it would tell you if this was owned by a company that you wanted to boycott, which sounds really cool until you actually go out and try to use it and you realize that you can literally not buy anything at all. And <laughs> It just becomes really disparaging and you end up just feeling like a really bad person because you're like, well, I need this item and they're, like I don't have a choice. As much as capitalism is all about providing us with choices, like you – like I literally was like, I do not have a choice. I have to in one way or another support a company that I loathe just because I need this item, you know? So that's one reason why I scoffed, scoffed at voting at your dollars. But another reason is that it's that, you know, obviously only the people with dollars have the votes. And like we just saw with um, the slaughterhouse workers and prison labor. And I made a video too about the reserve army of labor and how in order for capitalist accumulation to keep going, it has to make more and more people superfluous. It has to ensure that there's an ever-growing pool of low-wage workers to draw upon to keep wages low. And this is why we see wages stagnate. Um, this also has to do with outsourcing production and you know trade liberalization, etc. But all of this keeps that downward pressure on labor so that Profits and accumulation can keep flowing upwards. And so workers here have no say, you know, and increasingly we have no say and increasingly we have no rights. And I hate to keep shouting out all the content that I've already created or that we've already created. Um, but we also made one about UBI and like just this idea that we're all going to need UBI because robots are taking over. Um, but that UBI, I mean, the idea of it within a capitalist system is really reactionary. And in fact, it really disenfranchises us from a lot of power than we, than, like, we otherwise would have. Because for people who are just displaced entirely, and who are just relying on a UBI, like we are no longer workers. And so the idea of collective bargaining kind of gets lost there. Because what power do we possibly have if we're not even workers anymore, you know? And also, I mean, it was created in in and of itself in order to keep wages low and to reduce the amount of public assistance and benefits that the state would have to provide anyway, right? <clears throat> um, but I just want to make clear that I'm, you know, I'm for a UBI because I do think that it's going to be necessary. <laughs> I just wanted to make this clear because sometimes I critique the hell out of things and then people don't really know where I fall on the issue. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my forte is critique. My forte is pointing out how things are not working so that we can build something better. But, you know, in the short term, obviously we need UBI. But that's not what we're here to discuss today. <laughs> So suffice to say that the system carrying out its like internal logic and keeping accumulation going continually decimates the power of workers and tries its best to turn everyone into slaves. Like that's the best way to keep accumulation going. I mean, it's it's not sustainable because infinite growth is just not sustainable ever at all. But, I mean, that's what it tries to do, right? Um, we have Doug Ford in Ontario trying to reduce the minimum wage <laughs> because, yeah, that's a great idea. But anyway, so workers have no say. They have no rights. They have no power. Increasingly, we don't even have living wages. Increasingly, we're not able to buy houses. We're not able to live the way that our parents used to live, etc. And guess what? <laughs> 
these are the consumers. So imagining that there's somehow this magical, amazing, great power that consumers wield over the system is frankly absurd. Like it's really absurd, especially if you take into account what I just said about boycotts and how it's just basically impossible to boycott everyone that is doing terrible things, you know? So as we as workers and consumers are continually degraded, how the fuck are we supposed to be able to vote with our dollars for anything? Like if we don't have the dollars to buy things that align with our morals, then we don't have the luxury of doing that. Similarly, one of capitalism's greatest attacks on us as, you know, poor laborers in the system is that we don't have time. So, I mean, I don't have time or not me personally, but like, you know, a lot of workers and whatever, they don't, they are working maybe two, three jobs. Like they don't have time to make sure that they're going out and buying healthy food and taking it home and cooking it and all of that stuff. A lot of times people have to just rely on fast food or whatever, or even if they are cooking things and buying them at the store, like maybe they don't have the time, like they're under so much pressure. Um, You know, they're working really long days, they're exhausted, they don't have time to sit there scanning every item with a boycott app and trying to figure out how they're going to get this thing without supporting a company that is doing terrible things to the animals or whatever, you know? Um, So just our power, I mean, I I recognize that, uh, that boycotts, you know, they're not totally ineffectual. And I think I've said this before, and they can be powerful, but ultimately a lot of these corporations, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to be really that affected. Um, it's really not, yeah, it's just really, it's not realistic basically. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that it's unrealistic to think that the world will ever stop exploiting animals in some way or another for profit, like in a system based on exploitation of land and laborer to turn a profit and to accumulate capital. It's unrealistic to think that it's ever going to completely stop in this system and that we'll really, really get there. And even if we did, we wouldn't get there in terms of human impact. And people always turn that on its head and say, well, you know, what's unrealistic is thinking that capitalism will ever end, or it's unrealistic that we could live in some great utopia where, yeah, everyone's just equal and kumbaya and whatever. But yeah, I, I always just respond by saying it's even more unrealistic to think that we can just keep continuing what we're doing, expand, 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 you know, conquer, go fight wars all over the world to install and prop up this economic model, this expansionist model. It's, I mean, it's unsustainable. I mean, we're not going to make it not to get all dark, but we're probably not going to make it past 2100 at like at the current rate things are going. If we get up to a six degree increase in temperature by 2100, good night. Like so long, cruel world. It's all over. So yeah, it's, it's just completely unrealistic that we can stay on this collision course And not only just in terms of the environment, but in terms of labor, like if everyone's replaced by robots, but we're still like, we still operate with this idea of two classes, the class of owners and the class of laborers, that's not going to work. Everything's going to implode. It's just, it's not going to work on any level. So I feel like it's really unrealistic to think that this can continue. And like, even beyond... Like, okay, let's imagine for a second that, you know, none of these big lobby organizations exist and that mega capitalist animal agriculture is not going to do 
everything they can to advertise to people, to lobby for, you know, continued existence, etc. Let's pretend that the system of expansion and profit and everything can somehow lead us to a vegan world, which I do not believe it can. But let's say for the point of argument that everyone decided, literally everybody, that they no longer wished to consume or use any product or service derived from animal exploitation. And so all of those businesses went out of business and suddenly we only had uh, like plants to eat and we only grew plant crops. Capitalist agriculture is also not sustainable, period, period. And we've talked about this so much. I mean, I made a video about radical food politics, talked about this. There's an amazing book by uh, Eric Holt Jimenez. Sorry, I cannot pronounce that. Um, but it's called A Foodie's Guide to Capitalism. It's really great. It outlines exactly why the capitalist agricultural system is so unsustainable and also like moving us backwards in terms of seeds and diversity and, you know, soils and everything. Like you have these mega corporations like Monsanto and everything buying up the patents to all of these seeds and then making sure that farmers aren't allowed to you know, save seeds or use their own seeds and all of that. And it's so detrimental. And in terms of, you know, the impact on the environment, it's devastating. These huge monocrops are so, so bad for the environment. And I'll link an article. I think we only have about 60 years of productive soils left for our farm. Actually, probably less now because I think I read that article quite a while ago. So under 60 years of productive soils left for farming, which is wild. Uh, and then in the episode we did on bees and pollinators, we looked at the political economy of that whole thing and how you know, all these pesticides used in huge ass capitalist agriculture are killing off all the bees. I mean, this is common knowledge now. So we've lost all our pollinators. And so now there's businesses popping up to manufacture all of these bees and then ship them across the country and release them and try to help them to pollinate our crops. And it is just a mess. It is such a mess. And so that hurts animals. I mean, the pesticides and everything that come out, that hurts animals very much. And so thinking that, you know, even if, even if everyone did go vegan, but we were still within a capitalist framework, like, sure, the impact. Okay. So sure, we would greatly reduce our CO2 emissions because yeah. Okay. Just listen to the first podcast we did to go into that because I'm not going to go into the ecology of this right now. But okay. So everyone going vegan within the capitalist framework. Yes, it is important. I'm not going to say that making these choices aren't important. That's not the point of this podcast. <laughs> and I'm realizing right now that I think I need to make that clear <laughs> because it is important to make those choices when you can because it is important to reduce demand for these products. It is important to move towards a global recognition that meat production is unsustainable however you look at it however you look at it especially with the population that we have and no that's not saying that overpopulation is the problem. What I'm saying, you know, animal agriculture and distribution of food is the problem. So yes, we need to move away from that. So yeah, if everyone went vegan and we were still within a capitalist system, yeah, we would really, really reduce our 
global carbon emissions, that would be really wonderful. And it's something that we have to do. It's necessary for us to do that immediately if we want to make it past 2100. Um, and not even 2100, like 2060, like 20, I feel like 2050 is going to just really start to go down. So yeah, we have to do this. But thinking that 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 would still be like that would be sustainable forever is also a farce. I mean, that's it's not because that system is still inherently expansionist, growth oriented, and profit and the <laughs> profit oriented. The profit motive, like we've said before, destroys all good things and. So yeah, I mean, that would also be unsustainable in the long term and would threaten our overall food security, especially with the soils and the pollinators, etc. It's it's threatening a lot. And also, as I said, it exploits human animals and it's like the distribution system under capitalism ensures that even though we have a super abundance of food, it's not being distributed to hunger. Like people are dying of hunger in the system, even though globally we have a super abundance of food. So it's just a cruel, cruel system for all animals, including humans. It's also the motivation for these terrible land land grabs around the world. So it's it's the impetus for evicting huge populations from their lands, turning them into proletariat as part of this, you know, capitalist primitive accumulation and really destroying environments and you know there are a lot of vegan crops, quote unquote vegan, I mean like palm oil, obviously people argue that that's not vegan because of all the animals who die um, to to get that. But I mean, animals die in, you know, regular vegetable crop production too. So anyway, yeah, like palm oil, um, even some soy is, you know, grown in a way that's really not environmental. And and I mean, obviously, I need to make this clear that the soy being grown, like the majority of it being grown in in an unenvironmental manner is being grown explicitly to feed to land animals. And so, yeah, and, you know, the fact that some animals do die in the capitalist agriculture system that grows plant crops like we would need so much less land and so much less crops being grown if we weren't diverting these all to feed land animals. So that would still be a huge improvement, right? Um, but just the expansionist nature of industrial agriculture and these crops that are quote unquote vegan, but that destroy like palm oil destroys orangutan habitats. So these are all things that could and would continue even if everyone went vegan within this capitalist system. And there are also vegan crops like chocolate that we know are grown by child slave labor, you know? So it's we can't say that all these products are necessarily cruelty-free and just ignore the rest of the context of their production. It's just really ignorant. But anyway, so yeah, it's really important to make these choices to not support the animal agriculture industry and to make sure that you are not, I mean, to the best of your ability, reducing the amount of animal products that you consume as much as possible. However, that's just not going far enough. And so many of the problems that we think will be solved by everyone adopting a plant-based diet, because let's face it, that's pretty much what people talk about mostly. They don't really talk about like veganism, but if we keep allowing, you know, just capitalist vegan industry to grow and grow and grow, a lot of these problems are just going to be replicated down the line. And so, yeah, we just, we need more than that. (laughs) Further, Capitalism needs a growing population to remain viable because, again, perpetual growth, we need a growing population, we need a growing reserve pool of labor, Um, or they will just replace people with robots 
But as I said before, that will still make capitalism bottom out because then there are no consumers anymore if the robots are the quote-unquote laborers and the profits that are generated by their work are going to the capitalists. Even if that's redistributed in some way, the power of consumers would be very depressed and so it would still make make capitalism bottom out. So there's just no way that this system is ever going to be sustainable. And there's really no way that it's ever not going to exploit and kill animals. Capitalism kills animals. Like climate change kills animals. Deregulation of the economy kills animals and it kills their habitat. And capitalist markets will continually strive to be freer and freer and freer so that accumulation can keep going, as I said, up the hierarchy and concentrating capital into fewer and fewer hands. That's what has to happen to keep the the system going. And so deregulation, you know, like Trump came into office and was deregulating all of this shit. Um, I think I read that he was deregulating um, like species at risk legislation and everything like that. So yeah, it allowing the free market to just continue to exploit resources and like dump their trash wherever they want to, to cut costs. And yeah, they're just, they're destroying habitat. They're killing animals and it's not sustainable. <laughs> And again, this this move towards deregulation of trade barriers, etc. It allows for outsourcing so that companies can, you know, avoid any regulations at all to cut the costs that they have for production as much as possible, and so they can just offshore to places that don't have environmental regulations, so that they can destroy habitats and animals over there. So yeah. This whole system is just going towards, if not already, in a sixth mass extinction on our planet. And it makes people, like, because capital, because capital has to concentrate into fewer and fewer hands in order for the system to continue to even function at all, it ends up making people fight each other, like, People at the bottom are all fighting each other. Like, we're all competing against one another for these shitty, low-wage, flexible, contract, piece-of-shit positions in order to get a bit of money in order to access resources. And, like, what the fuck? Like, we already have enough food We have 1.5 times more food than we need to feed everyone on the planet. And here we are, like, clawing each other's throats out, trying to get these shitty-ass positions that pay us minimum wage, which is not a living wage, to try and just access food while half the world's food is being wasted. Like, pardon me? This is just ridiculous. And I just made one on on water, too. It's the same thing. Like, people cannot access what they need to live because we need certain people to amass all the wealth in order to keep this system going. It's just, oh my gosh, it's... I just... I can't understand at all why people don't see this. Like, how how is it possible that people are like, yeah, this, like, how can you look around at the world today and think, yeah, this looks right. This looks okay to me. <laughs> it's like that dog sitting in that house that's burning on fire and it's like, yeah, this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> and I, I guess it's just frustrating because I feel like even as a teenager, I would look around, even as a small child, I would look around and be like, why the fuck are we organizing our society like this like why like all we need is food and shelter and water and we could all have that but instead we'd rather fight each other and allow some people to monopolize half the world's resources while the rest of us fight over scraps like why why would we ever do this and this is somehow people somehow think that this is efficiency at work i mean i got so many comments like that on my water video about how well 
this is the most efficient way and, you know, socialist distribution fails and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, this is the least efficient way. Like, you're just apologizing for a terrible system because you don't want to fucking bother trying to come together and come up with a better one, you know? Whew. Um... Also, like, capitalism really instills in us just this mindset of, like, luxury and indulgence and growth and entitlement. Entitlement. Like, uh, I mean, I don't, again, I, I do not want to tokenize indigenous peoples, but I am doing a lot of work now with uh, the indigenous circle of experts in Canada trying to promote indigenous conservation and protected areas or whatever. So, you know, I'm having meetings and going to all these conferences and it's just um, like the elders who are part of the the circle of experts have just so much to say, like so much amazing wisdom to share about just understanding alternative relationships to the land and responsibility and respect and all of these things. And it's just a totally different worldview than the one, like the individualist, reductionist, rapacious worldview of capitalist indulgence. It's like, just because we're born, we feel like we're entitled. Like if, as long as we can trample over everybody else and claw our way to the top and make all of this money selling things to people that are fucking pointless or, you know, convincing people to buy things that are fucking pointless and destroying the earth to do that and exploiting people's labor to do that and get all the money. As long as we do that, we feel like, well, you know, we've worked really hard for this. And so I now deserve to live this life of luxury. I deserve to buy a house that's humongous, way bigger than I need as one single person and like way more impactful in terms of my ecological footprint than the majority of people around the world. And that's, that's, it's like everyone aspires to that. That's just the reward you get from being an asshole, like being a greedy, selfish asshole. That's your reward, you know? So it's just this entire mindset and I just, I just feel like even if within this system we got everybody to not purchase animal products, we would still like living this capitalist consumptive luxurious bullshit lifestyle of consumption for no other purpose, like for no other reason other than just consumption, if we're still doing that, then we're still living in a way that's destroying the planet, destroying habitat of species. I mean, so many species are already going extinct. Like the Great Barrier Reef is freaking dead. Like everything is just dying. And so we have to start thinking about our impacts and everything going much beyond just the animal agriculture industry. Like if we're concerned about all animals, all life, you know, and humans are animals. So like, you know, all life on earth, if we're concerned about that, if we're concerned about animal liberation, how can we have animal liberation if we are living in a system that just destroys all of their habitat? How could we possibly have that? We can't like, that's not liberation. (laughs) And as we destroy more and more habitat, the animals who we've displaced out of that habitat then come and, you know, become quote unquote pests or nuisances in our houses or our neighborhoods or whatever, like up north, um, you know, all the bears that are being displaced um, because of climate change and they're ending up, they don't have any food, they can't find anything to eat. So they're ending up coming into towns and trying to like eat out of trash cans and stuff like that. They're just being shot because they're, you know, dangerous to the human population. So animals are still going to die. Like all these animals that we displace, like 
mice and raccoons and everything like they come then into our urban environments they come into our homes and you know try and just freaking live and then there's entire industries where people go and exterminate them so we can't just think that that choosing vegan products is something that is going to really revolutionize things in the long term i mean and again, like the the companies and the businesses and the industries that rely on animals or exploiting animals in any way are going to fight to the death to continue and like control their profit streams and control that revenue and everything. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. And even if okay, even if they didn't, I mean, it's still not cruelty free. A lot of these things if you think about the human impact of them also so yeah we just have to do so much better um you know we have to we have to move towards um animal liberation in a vegan world if we want to survive and also if we want to have any kind of semblance semblance of relationship with the world around us but we also really have to challenge this system. And we've spoken about this before and Maureen speaks about this a lot on her channel. Um, so go check that out. She has a lot about how different forms of oppression also hurt animals. And so animals have a stake in ending this system too. <laughs> like animals have a stake in being our comrades like they really really do because they're not benefiting from any of this any of this they're being exploited so badly and they're being murdered and their habitats are all being destroyed so yes they have a huge stake in us completely revolutionizing our political economy and the way that we relate to each other and other non-human life so yeah, I feel like I've been talking for a while. <laughs> Maybe I haven't, and it just feels that way because I'm doing a solo podcast. Um, but I also just wanted to mention just the idea of the lab-grown meat uh, industry because I get a lot of questions about this, and I understand that people can't follow like everything that I've ever said and done. <laughs> but I kind of wish. I guess I should probably do like a Q and A, an FAQ, maybe frequently asked questions that I get all the time. So I can be like, okay, just refer to the FAQ. But anyway, so I get a lot of questions about the lab-grown meat industry and whether I'm excited about it and you know what I think about it. And um, so I usually answer that you know, okay, I personally would not eat the meat because I'm at the point where I really do not consider flesh to be food. And I don't think it's very healthful either. And especially for me, I mean, it's, it hasn't been healthful for me anyway. So, so I usually say, yeah, I wouldn't eat it, but I support that transition because obviously it stands to be a lot more environmental than our current system of animal agriculture. And obviously I want, I don't want animals to be kept in cages and tortured and slaughtered. And I don't want their babies to be ripped away. And I don't want them to be forcibly impregnated. And I don't want like, yeah, I just don't want all of the destruction and death and then, you know, contamination that comes with animal agriculture. I don't want the workers to be subjected to these cruel, terrible conditions and having their limbs amputated. I don't want people, especially poor communities of color who are living around factory farms to have to breathe in literal shit and you know, get so many really serious, devastating health impacts. So yeah, I mean, obviously, it's way better than the system of animal agriculture. But I also think that it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't really get us to like a vegan world. Because first of all, like people in that case are just kind of caring about animals who are food animals, right? So if it's like, okay, great, we can just eat this lab-grown meat. I don't know. I, I think it it's kind of just 
like maybe a worldview thing or like a an ontological thing. It's just like, okay, yeah, fine. We can, we can eat this lab grown meat because we want it. It's kind of like saying, well, instead of me making this political stand and, you know, right now, right here, right now, giving a fuck and being like, yeah, this is terrible. This is wrong. This is unsustainable. Instead of me doing all that right now and deciding to, you know, not support that industry and like to, you know, advocate for animal liberation, it's kind of like, okay, well, um, I'll just wait. You know, like I'm not willing to really do anything. So I'll just wait for lab grown meat to come out and then I'll do that, you know? And it doesn't really think about animals who are in the entertainment industry or animals that are tested on for different products, etc. It's just, I don't know. I don't think it really, it doesn't, it's not creating any kind of shift in anybody's mind at all, like about this whole system and speciesism, etc. It's just kind of like an easy out. And like, while I recognize that the majority of people really don't give a fuck and that for most people, this is like the best that we can ever hope for. Um, yeah, I just, I just think that this is, yeah, it's just like another industry that's going to try and profit off the fact that people don't give a fuck. I mean, like they give a fuck in the most marginal way and then maybe it'll be like, okay, great. Well, now I can like absolve myself and just still eat the flesh of animals. Um, I don't know. I guess I have complicated feelings about it because I do, I'm like, yes, fine. Like if you are so desperate to eat the flesh of animals, then fine. Like, yeah, eat that. But I guess I guess it's the thing that people are like, well, I'll just wait for that. And I guess I just wonder, I guess I just wonder about the industry and everything. And I also know that a lot of people who are meat eaters are like, ooh, that's gross. Like, that's really gross. And it's just like, what? <laughs> like, that is more gross than eating a, like, gangly dead carcass? Like, do you know the kind of sick-ass animals you're consuming? Like, chickens are dipped in bleach because they are so sick because they're kept in the worst conditions and they can't move and they all have diseases. <laughs> But eating something grown, you know, pristinely in a lab is more gross than eating a literal diseased carcass. But that's fine. That's fine. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I I do think if we could move everyone to lab grown meat, that would be a much better thing than we have now. Uh, I guess I also just think that that's going to be a really slow transition, especially because all of the people who work in animal agriculture and like all of like the big like meat and dairy lobby people who are very, very powerful are going to really, really stall this transition, uh, really stall the transition. Um, as is the same with most important transitions that we need to make, like the clean energy transition, etc. I mean, the profit motive really just stalls all of that from going forward. So I guess, I guess I'm like, okay, fine. Like, okay, why don't you try reducing your animal consumption and animal product consumption now? And then maybe in the future, when lab grown meat does come out, then you can be like, make the choice if you want to consume that or not. But I just kind of feel like a lot of people are using this idea of lab-grown meat to be like, well, I'll just wait for that instead of actually thinking about or learning about what animals go through right now, learning about, you know, speciesism and capitalism and all of this stuff. And they're just like, yeah, I'll just, you know, wait. So I don't know. I think in that sense, it's kind of uh, I don't want to say problematic, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Anyway, sorry, I've been ranting about lab grown meat for too long. 
So uh, I think I'm going to wrap it up. I think I have been talking for quite a long time. So hopefully that was interesting. And yeah, let me know what you think. Show me some support if you liked the podcast, because this is my first solo podcast. So yeah, just <laughs> show me some love if you liked it. Uh, so I'm going to shout out the patrons I always mess that up, but the patrons before I go. So we've had a number of new pledges. Thank you so, so much to Amy Arlen. That's two different people, Amy and Arlen. Thank you. Uh, Drew Langdon, Emily Kramer, Eric Eisberg, and Fluorescent Gray, who is Robbie Martin, and I'm a huge fan of. So <laughs> check out Robbie Martin's documentaries and check out Media Roots also. So yeah, thank you everyone for your pledges. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a monthly patron on our website, veganvanguardpodcast.com, or throw us a one-time donation via PayPal, also on the website. Goes a long way. Um, love from Marine also. <laughs> she loves you guys and yeah, give her some good thoughts and good vibes in her in real life pursuit, which is really exciting. And yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. 